Welcome to the Life Over Coffee podcast, conversations for transformation. Well, hello, everyone. Thank you so much for joining me. Welcome to our coffee shop. This is Life Over Coffee, the street address, lifeovercoffee.com. I had a lady write in, and it, it is a detailed question, and I'm going to share that question with you in the full length of it in just a moment. But I want to share part of it right now so that you can see where we're going to go because this is something that of course is important to all of us and so this lady wrote in and i'm going to call her mabel because of the sensitivity of what she is asking i don't want to draw attention to any geography i don't want to draw attention to uh, any particular church but i do want to address what she's asking because it is quite important and so she says uh, if a person in your church lives a sin lifestyle and is a leader, how should I respond to that person? Now I'll get into the specifics of what she's asking in a moment. Should I sit under their teaching and leadership? Should I separate from sinners in the church? Now again, she asked, and here's a part of that question. She said, I, I know I am to engage sinners for redemptive purposes because that's what Christ did to me. I don't want to separate from them, but influence them with the gospel. But what about the ongoing sinfulness of someone in your church? Now, I'll read the full length of the question in just a moment because this is important. In fact, the question that she's asking could completely split this church. And so I am glad that she is coming here and that she is asking. Of course, she needs to be talking to her pastor. I'll speak to that in just a moment. But if you want to read the show notes of what I'm about to share with you, or if you want to watch the video, listen to the podcast, all of that is gathered, collected in one place. This is episode 436 in our Life Over Coffee podcast series, and I've titled it, Should I Separate from Sinful People? Now, I don't know if you know this, but you can ask us anything. Uh, we have two categories of people that come to us and they ask us questions. There are those who underwrite our ministry financially, and we praise God for them because we give our resources away. And if they were not uh, supporting us financially, we would not be able to do things as we're doing them today which is re reaching hundreds of thousands of people with the practical message of Christ. And so to honor our financial partners, we do have a private forum on our website for them. By the way, our private forum has probably been busier than it's ever been in the history of this ministry. The coffee shop is just a buzz with people talking, and it's not just our supporting community speaking with us and us guiding them through various things in their lives, but what you will see on our supporting forums is, is iron sharpening iron as other supporters, our financial partners, are coming alongside each other. So it's not just us in a unidirectional 
old-fashioned guiding, but it is the whole community speaking to each other, trying to encourage one another, motivate one another with whatever important issue they are bringing to our community. And so if you are a supporter, you are welcome to jump into the coffee shop and just keep it a buzz with not only whatever question that you may have, like what Mabel is asking here, but we also want our community to engage one another, as I was just as I was just saying, because we we want them to get into those reciprocal uh, relationships with each other, and not just us doing all the guiding or the advising. Now, for those who aren't able who or who don't want to support our ministry. <coughs> Excuse me. Well, we praise God for you too. I am glad that you're taking advantage of our resources, but we also don't want to dismiss you. And so we do have a link on our website to where our non supporting community can come, like Mabel here, and ask a vital question. And so if you would go to the discuss link, right in the navigation bar on any page of our website. And if you're not a supporter, click on it, scroll down just a bit, and you will see two options for you. One, you can uh, share uh, your question in an audio format. You can record it, and it will come right to us. Or you can write it in if you prefer the old-fashioned way of typing. You can type out your question, and that uh, would be fantastic. Now, I do want to share one encouraging note from Tammy. Uh, she wrote in and said this, and I like reading these from time to time uh, because I want you to know that, that God is doing a work in people's hearts and people that I don't even know. I don't know Tammy, I don't think, never met her. But she wrote in and she said this, I lead a small group of ladies online and in person through Bible studies, and as I use the study, we are in, the things that I gleaned from our ministry, lifeovercoffee.com, have helped me to become a better leader and have an open heart to the hurting ladies that do Bible study with me. I am so thankful for you all and your calling and your love for God, the wisdom, the theology, the mind and soul connection found here at Life Over Coffee is truly spirit-led. Tammy, thank you so much for writing that note. Uh, it's going to be fascinating when we all get to heaven and we learn of people uh, specifically that have impact, been impacted by this ministry that I just have no clue who they are. But Tammy was kind enough to write that note, and so I wanted to uh, share it with you uh, so that you can hear some of the things that God is doing. All right, so I want to jump into episode 436, Should I Separate from Sinful People in My Church? An all-important question, and I'm going to divide this up into three parts. Part number one, I want to share with you in full what, the, what Mabel has written in and, and is asking, what she's saying. She's giving context, which will be great. You'll hear it in just a moment. And then she's asking some very specific questions. And then the part two, I want to get into some general concepts that I think are important that will lay a good foundation for, as we progress. And then part number three, I want to get into some specifics about what she's asking in this situation. And I guess you could say that there are four parts because at the end I do have a call to action as I typically do. And I want to ask some specific questions. All right. So this is what 
Mabel said. So I'll just share it with you, and this, this will give, give us context plus what she's asking. She said, you mentioned in a previous podcast if it was suitable to separate from sinners. Now, by the way, here under episode 436, there's a link here that you can go to that podcast that she's referring to. Mabel goes on to say, you referenced a woman who wanted to know if it was right for a woman to attend a baby shower of another woman who conceived her child out of wedlock. But what if someone who claims to be a Christian is living with someone who is an unbeliever? And this lady goes against all counsel, and she marries this unbeliever. Currently, this lady is a part-time small group leader in our church. Does the same apply to this situation? Talking about separating from sinners. Mabel goes on to say she leads others in spiritual growth, but has not submitted to God in this critical area. I realize we all have sin issues that we're dealing with, but surely someone leading a group should not be living in rebellious sin. I'm curious to know what you think about this, as I agree we should not separate from people based on their sinful actions but I'm not sure if it would be fitting to attend a small group where this person is one of the leaders. And then Mabel wraps up by saying, I'm pretty disappointed that the other leaders permit this, the other leaders in the church, but I'm not sure I can do much about this without stirring up much trouble. Maybe I'm being too harsh. All right, so there is the context. There's some, some real-world issues that are all entangled, and Mabel is a part of it. Again, episode 436, Should I Separate from Sinful People in My Church? All right, so before I get into the second part, uh, general concepts, uh, I do have a couple of thoughts, and, and one of them is that kind of jumps up quickly as you read this, how do you know she has not repented? And so, Mabel, I'm asking you that question, but Mabel doesn't say that she has not repented, and so I'm not sure where this lady is at this present moment. Mabel is saying this and asking these questions as though she has not repented but I don't know that. It's not clear to me in what she wrote. And so that is an obvious question that I would want to ask her. And so, Mabel, as you read these show notes, watch the video, listen to the podcast, this is an important question. Uh, by the way, if you are a supporter of our ministry and want to have an ongoing dialogue about this, then please jump on our private forum, and we would love to discuss this with you. But how do you know she has not repented? I am not being cynical here. I'm not suggesting uh, that you've done anything wrong, but I'm just asking for more information. Has she not repented? How do you know she's living in blatant sin now? How do you know she has not come to her senses recognizing the errors, the sinful mistakes that she has made? 
I don't know, maybe it's possible that she has come to her senses, but now she is in a situation in which there is no point of return. She can't put the toothpaste back into the bottle. She can't into the tube. She can't replay the tape. She can't have a redo in this situation in the sense that she is married. She's married an unregenerate person. She's made an awful mistake that would go against Scripture. But I'm not clear in what you have said if she has come to her senses or not. There have been some irreparable things that I have done in my life. I came to my senses later and realized, but the damage was already done. I I married as an unregenerate person, probably married an unregenerate person. And of course, there were some complicating dynamics that happened after that. But God used all those things to bring me to my senses, and I did repent. Repentance as far as regeneration, God saved me, and then he's been working on me ever since. And so I'm not clear if this lady has repented or not. Now, also, part of the dynamic that is in play here is about biblical decision-making. And so Mabel is asking how to decide how to make several decisions. Should she go to uh, this lady and talk to her? How much investigation should she do? Should she talk to her pastor? Should she talk to someone else? Uh, How can she determine if her conscience is not overreacting, that she has a legalistic or oversensitive conscience or a dull conscience, that she's not seeing this thing with clarity? How does she know she's not mapping her experience over this and is emoting wrongly or rightly about this? And so there's multiple decisions that really cloud around this issue that she will have to work through. Now, with that in mind, Mabel, I do have a link here in episode 436 that I would love for you to click on, and it will take you to our resources on how to make a biblical decision, and you will find at that link a one-hour webinar as I carefully walk through the decision-making process. For the rest of you, if you have not watch that webinar. I highly recommend it. You can also listen to the podcast version of it. There's an article there and other resources about biblical decision-making, but we need to know how to make a biblical decision. We were just interacting with someone on the forum. I think it was yesterday and a lady had made a decision based on, yeah, it was the last couple of days, a lady had made a decision about a dating relationship basically based on a fleece concept that we see with Gideon. She told the Lord if such a situation happened with her boyfriend that she would marry this person or date this person, one or the other, and that that thing happened. And that is her worldview on decision-making, and that is super, super dangerous. I'll not get into the concept of decision-making here, but I do want to underscore that it's very important, Mabel, with all the decisions that you need to make about what is happening with this lady that's part-time leader of your small group. Uh, you do want to have much clarity when it comes to decision-making. All right, so I want to touch on just a handful of general concepts. Now, one of them is, and I want to highlight this first because Mabel does this, and I trust you heard this when I was sharing with you what she said, but anytime you're going into relational conflict and problem-solving, you want to go in carefully 
initially examining yourself. And I sensed that uh, with Mabel because you, you heard at the end of her uh, presentation that she said, well, I might be uh, too harsh. Uh, she also talked about the, the necessity of, of sharing the gospel and being redemptive and not just bolting out of the situation. She also talked about the ubiquitous nature of sin as she was admitting that that we all have sin problems. And so there was humility that was laced through what Mabel was sharing, and that was fantastic. When someone is sharing a problem like this with you, you do want to listen for those tones, for those vibes, and also those specific words, their wordsmithing as they construct the narrative. And you want to hear, are they making those self-examining are they are they self-examining to make sure that the log is firmly planted in their eye and they don't see the the log in the other person's eye while only acknowledging a speck in their own that would go against what Jesus is teaching us in Matthew 7 and so Mabel seems to be doing this very well and this fits under the category here of general concepts because this is something that we always want to do whether in this situation or or, uh, in another matter. Number two, talk to someone. And so in Mabel's case, if she is married, I want her to talk to her husband. Now, that is a standard response. Uh, anytime a person, whether it's a husband or a wife, comes to you with a problem like this, for example, one of the first questions that I ask is, what does your spouse say about this? Because the spouse, was there's several reasons. One is, I mean, they are one, not two. And so I want to measure the unity or disunity within that relationship because that will factor into it. Number two, the spouse has more data on this than anyone else outside of the person who's sharing the story, like Mabel here. And so I want to gain their perspective. Uh, if it is a wife that's talking to me, like Mabel in this situation, I want to honor the husband. And so I ask, what does your husband say? Because I want to honor him. Now, I also recognize in many cases, I think that's accurate, many, that's probably accurate. It has been in my experience. In many cases, husbands don't lead well. And so the wife is looking for help because she can't go to her husband. Now, we just had a situation on our forum today where a lady brought a problem to us, and I asked that same question. And as I was preparing uh, these show notes here and getting ready for the video and the podcast, I, I saw her response came back, and she said, my husband said, and she listed out what her husband said about the situation that she's asking on our supporting members forum. That is fantastic. Uh, that's not normal, unfortunately, in many situations, but I do want to acknowledge that. I want to honor the husband. I would love to know his perspective as well. So my first call to action, Mabel, if you are married, what does your husband say? I don't want to circumvent or jump jump around that and not acknowledge that there is some honoring to do and there is potential of more data and maybe he has a different perspective than you and maybe he can give some insight on why you see things such as you do and why this is important to you. Now, if you are not married, I do, I will uh, appeal to you 
that you have a confidant that you can talk to, someone who's competent to speak into it, into this. I'll talk more about this later, but because this is a matter, a, a significant matter in the church based on uh, the things that you are alleging, uh, this is a huge matter, and so there needs to be at least one other leader involved if you cannot reconcile this in your heart and you want to push forward. And so what does your husband say? And then a confidant, a leader, not just any other person. We don't want to talk horizontally, but we want to talk vertically initially because we don't want to create disunity in the church at this point. And so number one, examine yourself. You seem to be doing rather well. Number two, talk to someone. Number three, search the Bible, obviously. God's Word guides us, and so we want to know what it says about the big and the small decisions and conflicts that are in our lives. And then number four, I do want to speak specifically to the pastoral aspect of what you are presenting here, because shepherds must lead, but shepherds are not omniscient, okay? I was having kind of a conversation like this with our daughter as I was taking her to school this morning or yesterday, and I was telling her that uh, I was asking her for stories uh, because now they're at that age uh, where they're telling us stories about some of the things that they did uh, as children that we did not know that they were doing. And most of those stories are funny, uh, things that they did, sneaky things that they did and so forth. And so we kind of have fun with that uh, at this stage in our family. And I, I recognize, and as I told her, I mean, obviously there's so many things that you all did as kids. And I'm not saying that accusationally as though I'm as though it's a got you moment. We're just having a jovial kind of conversation, but I'm, I'm telling you, I know that there's things that you did that there's no way we could be aware of because you have your own lives and you would collect with the other kids in the cul-de-sac and, and do what you do. And, and I'm sure there's stories out there and I want to hear them because those we have laughed at many of them. But in, on a more serious note, pastors are not omniscient, and there's no way that they can know everything that's going on in the church. But in Hebrews 13, 17, uh, the writer says that they will give an account for how they shepherd. Now, this is an important thought that I would love for you to consider, is that we as church people, we want to step up to the responsibility to help them to shepherd well. And sometimes Times we need to apprise them of things that they may not be aware of in their church that God will hold them account for, for shepherding. And the Hebrew writer said in 1317 that we want them to do it with joy, and so we want them to shepherd us with joy, and part of helping them to care for us with joy is by us not just being spectators, but being appropriately and biblically engaged, and sometimes letting them know some things that they might not know because they are not omniscient. And so potentially, I want you to, number four, speak to your pastor. And then finally, number five, what does your conscience say? What is your inner voice saying, Mabel? Now, I'm not saying that your conscience is correct. I'm not saying that your conscience is incorrect. I just want to know what your internal moral thermostat 
is saying, because this is what I do know, you cannot sin against your conscience. Whether your conscience is right or wrong, you cannot sin against your conscience. In 1 Corinthians 8, you probably are very familiar that these uh, Jewish people who became Christians, their conscience, their inner voice was telling them that it was sinful to eat meat, but it wasn't sinful. Paul was very clear. But Paul was also clear saying you can't sin against your conscience. Even though your conscience is wrong, you can't sin against it. You have to follow your conscience. And so I'm asking you, what is your conscience saying? This is something that I would want to unpack with Mabel. Now let's say like the Jewish converse in 1 Corinthians 8 that their conscience that her conscience is wrong. Then what I would want to do is to bring her her sub conscious level up to a biblically informed level so that her conscience and God's word are singing on the same page. They're singing the same tune. Because if her conscience is wrong, then it's going to create a presuppositional filter that's going to lead her to make misinterpretations about what she is is seeing. And so I want to know how she is responding in her inner voice. All right, so those are a few general concepts when uh, working through relational conflict. Number one, examine yourself. Number two, talk to someone, starting with your spouse if you're married. Number three, search the Bible. Number four, potentially speak to your pastor, especially if you can't overlook it. Now, that's also tied to number five. What is your conscience saying? And so if your inner voice is continuing to blare at you and it's creating all this soul noise, it becomes disruptive after a while. And that's where you can't let it go because your conscience won't let you let it go. And that's where you need to bring in some help so you can work through it. Maybe you're wrong. Maybe you're right. But if your conscience will not allow you to overlook this and it continues to amp up saying you need to deal with this this is wrong this lady's wrong Uh, well then you need to talk to someone so number four uh, potentially talk to your pastor number five what does your conscience say all right so section number three this specific situation and i have like five or, or six points here that i want to make i have five points and the first one here is uh leaders And so in James uh, chapter 3, verse number 1 specifically, we learn that leaders are held to a higher scrutiny. I'd already mentioned Hebrews 13, 17, talking about how pastors will give an account. Now, this lady is not a pastor. Women don't pastor. But this woman is a leader. And the implication from Hebrews 13, 17, and the implication from James chapter 3, verse number 1, that there is a higher scrutiny on leaders, just like there is a higher scrutiny on fathers and, and mothers. There's a higher scrutiny on husbands and, and, and wives. I mean, those are leadership positions. I'm using James 3, 1, that's talking about teachers. I reference Hebrews 13, 17, talking about pastors. Uh, and then you can also look at uh, 1 Timothy, where we have a template on uh, leadership. I'll talk about that in just a moment, recognizing that that too uh, is talking specifically about pastors, and she's not a pastor. But, the, but there's a leadership part here, and all leaders lead well or they lead poorly. 
And so a small group leader or the band, the worship band, the choir on Sunday morning that is in front of people. I mean, as a parent, I I want, when our children were smaller, I want to be able to point to them and say, these people are, are following Christ, and they're not perfectly. I'm not suggesting that. But they're following Christ with integrity, honesty, transparency. Uh, and, and so there is a leadership quality. And, of course, this lady's leading, not pastorally, but she's leading. And so leaders lead, and there is an expectation that they lead well. And so that has to be teased out. And I'll get more into the details in that in just a moment. But part of that will be what I was saying earlier, has she repented? of her stubbornness, her arrogance, uh, her obstinance of marrying this person that is not a Christian. Has she repented? Because now she is in a leadership position, and there is a higher scrutiny placed on her, uh, which is placed on all of us. And so there is an expected deportment that the Bible either teaches outright or implies. And so she is a leader, and that is something that needs to be examined appropriately carefully maintaining unity and we want to be careful in our communication because as we do the investigatory work we want to be redemptive in our speech and how we proceed number two there is a template for what a leader looks like in first timothy 3 1 through 7 now again as i said i realize this is speaking specifically for pastors but let me ask you this question Shouldn't we all be like that 15-point template in 1 Timothy 3, 1 through 7, with the exceptions? One of those data points was a gifted teacher. We all should not be gifted teachers. And another one is, is married. You don't have to be married. But, but as a general template, there are things there that, yeah, we want to imitate too. And so if you're looking for leadership template, that is a good one, even for folks that, that aren't pastors as this lady is not. There are several things in that template that applies to her, and that leadership pattern in that template gives you an idea. And this is the point. It gives you an idea of what you're looking for from folks who are leading us. And so, number one, the leadership issue. Number two, having a good template uh, to be able to interpret, exegete this person as far as their leadership mirroring. Does their life mirror what a biblical expectation of a leader is? And then number three, and this is even more important, character. So as you gain a more pixelated understanding of this person, And so as you really dial in on this portrait that you're trying to understand because you don't want to mischaracterize this small group leader, part-time small group leader, uh, you don't want to create disunity in the church. You don't want to be sinful, slanderous, gossipy. And so you need a more pixelated understanding of this individual. And so as you continue to dial in, As you look at what leadership is, as you look at a template, you want to get into, as much as you can subjectively discern, what is her character like? Are we making an assessment from a long way off? 
uh, when we see a person, but not the pixelation of a person. But as you continue to get to know her and do this careful, redemptive, investigatory work, you're going to start seeing a, a grander pixelation of her. And some of those pixels are going to reveal, reveal her character. And here's just a partial listing of, of, of the components or the word cloud that surrounds character. And, and you can. this is not exhaustive, okay? These are just a few things. Things that you're going to look for, some specific pixels you're going to look for in her character. Integrity, affection, morality, self-control, goodness, gentleness, patience, motives, kindness, love, purity, passion, joy, faithfulness, honesty, and maturity. Those are just a few things that is a word cloud that, that embodies what it means a person to have a good and biblical character. You see, it's easier never to promote a person than to elevate them only to find out later that they have a flawed character. It's much messier and more difficult to remove them in such cases. Now, you could have a case right here with this part-time small group leader, this lady. You might have a case. I don't know. I don't know if she's repented, as I said earlier. There's a lot that I don't know. But as you move in and gain more clarity as this grander pixelation and begin to look at some of these subcategories within character, a few that I have mentioned in a non-exhaustive way, you may find out that she was promoted without careful examination. And of course, it can get real messy uh, as you try to think through what are we going to do now. And so number three is character in, in specifics. And then number four, uh, is this a pattern or an episode in this lady's life? Is this a one-time sin decision that she made in her past? Or is there a pattern of deception, stubbornness, arrogance in her current life? The expanded pixelation will help you to discern that. If there are ongoing sin patterns, then you must intervene and stay involved until she changes, which brings us to point number five, repentance. You want to investigate. If you just can't overlook this, your conscience is not allowing you to overlook this, then you, you want to start with her and get the real story. You don't want to get others involved necessarily. You talk to your husband, of course. You may run this by your uh, pastor because he, he could just bring great clarity to this because not only is he aware of it, but he's shepherded through this thing, and, and that may resolve it all right there. But in a minimal way, as you gather data, you do want to get, get the real story by talking specifically to her. Because if this is a past sin, then you do not want to advertise what God has forgiven and does not bring up as reminders. And we would not want anyone to do that for us either. Now, here's the key idea about repentance, to know if a person has truly repented and they worked through this process and this thing is genuinely in the past, if she has repented, implying that she has worked through it, and if she is a leader of quality character, then she will want to lead you by helping you work through your struggle with her. If someone came to me about a sin that I committed in the past, if I, if I am a leader of quality character, I will want to work with them through that. I am divorced, as many of you know, and some people struggle 
as they should, as they should struggle with divorce. And if they don't have the whole story, which may be going on right here with this person, well, if I am a leader worth my salt of any kind of good biblical character, if you came to me with that struggle, then I should want to help you with your struggle. And so that will be one of the key indicators. If she blows you off, uh, that might be a problem. If she gets angry with you because you're bringing up a past sin in a humble, redemptive way because you just don't know, uh, that could be a problem. All right, so this is episode 436. I'm, ask, ask, I'm answering a question uh, in a succinct way. Here's the title, Should I Separate from Sinful People in Our Church? And so I shared the context and the questions that Mabel is asking. I talked about some general concepts, and then I talked about some specific things with her. And then this is part number four. I will wrap up with just a few questions. Number one, can you overlook this lady and the problem? Why or why not? Number two, do you need to change your conscience? Does it need to be recalibrated? I'm not saying it, it's right or wrong. I'm just asking the question based on what I have said. Number three. Is your conscience in line, in line with God's Word, or do you need to recalibrate it to make it more biblically informed? That's kind of a, a follow-up to the last question. Number four, if you, if you should not change your conscience, meaning you're spot on, you believe you're spot on after collecting all this data and talking with appropriate people, that your conscience and God's Word are right in sync, right in line with each other, then you have to deal with this by talking to the lady and potentially bringing in a third-party person who is a leader because you're going up, not sideways as far as communication to the right people. Number five. What do your leaders say about this? How are they handling it? Are you in agreement with how it is playing out? Now, the reason I'm asking this collection of questions is because it is implied in what you were asking is that this is a problem in the church, and there's some tension here with how you think about the leaders. It's not just about that lady, but it's also about the leaders. And if you're not careful... Uh, that seed can really grow up, can germinate, and, and can spread, and it can cause all sorts of problems. And so you really want to wrestle with, what do your leaders say about this? How are they handling it? Are you in agreement with how it's playing out? And then finally, number six, do you need to leave the church? Now, that's kind of direct. I'm not suggesting that you should or that you do. But again, you it has to be on the table but it is like way down the road as you work through these other things that, that I'm mentioning to you. What you cannot do is to continue coming to this church and to the church meetings, the gatherings of the church, to the small group, engaging in this situation, interacting with this lady, and you continue to bring it up, or your conscience continues to bring it up. It troubles your soul. Each time you see her, your, your, your conscience is just blaring inside of you. you. You have to be at peace about this matter. And if you can't be at peace about this matter, if you can't be at peace around her, if you can't be at peace at this church, if you can't be at peace with how the leaders are handling this situation, uh, then you have to do what you need to do to reduce that soul noise. Again, I'm not suggesting that you lead, leave the church. But you, you have to 
you have to look at all the possibilities because you can't continue to gather in the various meetings of the church and have this protracted, amplified soul noise going off in your conscience because you're struggling with this particular situation that you can't overlook or maybe you shouldn't overlook. I don't know. Episode 436, Should I Separate from Sinful People in My Church? Thank you so much, and God bless. Thanks for joining us. Learn more and get access to other resources at lifeovercoffee.com.